This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Grace Gordon, actress and activist, and I am so excited to be here today interviewing my friend and collaborator, Alan Lestufka. Alan and I have worked on a couple of things together over the years. I read a piece of his poetry for one of his albums. I did the book trailer for his new debut novel, which I am so excited about. And Alan's also a faithful listener of the show. So it's so awesome to get him here. He's a multimedia content creator. He was one of the founders of DFTVA Records. And yes, now has a new novel, which only came out last week called Face the Night. I'll be putting the book trailer at the end of this episode because you might recognize the voice who uh, who read it. Um, uh, Alan, I, I'm so glad to have you on the show. I can't believe you haven't been on already, honestly. So, I mean, just to get started like we always do and to get us grounded here in the present moment, I'll start off by just asking you, how is your art life? Uh, my art life is good. It's been a, a very productive week, um, yesterday in particular. So, uh I'm feeling well rested and uh, excited to talk to you today. Me too, and I'm I'm just so excited for you and your book, which I just read over the weekend, and it was I thought it was fantastic. Thank you so um, much. I you know I'd love to just ask you to start like how this past week has been uh, with your book coming out, and I believe it was self published. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. No. It, it's been very exciting. Um, I. I've only written two short stories that have been published before, um, and I did that about two years ago. And uh, writing's always been something I've wanted to do since I was very little. Uh, my friends and I used to hang out and uh, write short stories in my room and you know things like that. Um, but back then, self-publishing really wasn't the thing that it is today. Um, it wasn't really viable. It wasn't something that people aspired to. It was mm. kind of looked down upon as like, oh, you failed, so you had to self-publish. Um, and that's kind of gone away over the last 10 years. And so now people have more of a, a choice. You know, it's like, oh, I self-published because of ABC versus, oh, I wanted a traditional deal because of, of these factors. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been very exciting, a little overwhelming. Um, you know, the <laughs> short stories were much smaller projects. I was able to uh, put those up digitally for people and that was it. Um, but here we have formatting for hardcovers, formatting for paperbacks, which are different from hardcovers, uh, mm. you know, the formatting for all the various digital sites. Uh, I did an audiobook uh, for this one, uh, which we didn't do for the short stories, you know, so it's just a lot. Um, but thankfully, everything went smoothly. There were no hiccups on release day. Um, reviews have been coming in, and those have been, for the most part, really positive, which has been very exciting, because uh, you never know until you put something out, you know, you, you can feel very strongly about something. Mm -hmm. And then it's just not received the way you think it will be. But um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just been a, a, a really good week. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, it seems like it's been a really successful release. I worked in bookshops as my day job for like seven years. And so I'm familiar with that conversation about self-publishing, but also how much it has changed. We have books like The Martian by Andy Weir, which, you know, became a huge bestseller and ended up getting a freaking Matt Damon space movie. <laughs> like that was a self-published book. Mm -hmm. He brought that all around and then ended up self-publishing. And it was, um, you know, it's one of the biggest books of that year. So I love that we're talking about this because it was one of the things I was really curious about, just the process of it and how that, how it's, how things have changed for writers. Um I know that you also have worked in like multimedia content creation. So you have a knowledge of marketing. 
um, your own work or marketing uh, DIY kind of projects. So I was I was wondering like how that helped you with this book release. I've looked at your website and it's just beautiful. And I'm Thank wondering you. like how your skills from other from other projects transferred to making this such a successful release. Yeah, I, I mean, it helped quite a bit in that I wasn't starting from zero as far as, you know, followers and fans and things like that go. Um, most of those people were there for my music. Um, that's kind of the the biggest um, impact I've had online in the past. Um, I've done other projects. I you know published zines and I ran a, a forum for writers for a while way back in the day. And those were very small projects until DFTDA Records came along. That that was the big one. Um, and so most people know me for my music, but I figure you know with the smaller indie kind of creator uh, vibe these days, uh, people follow people for the person, you know, not only just for what they create. And so I figured if people enjoy my music and enjoy the topics that I write about and the type of music I make, that that might translate into the type of stories I want to tell on the page versus, you know, being sung. Um, and so that that helped quite a bit, um, knowing my way around running ads on Facebook, um, ads on Amazon uh, have also helped, knowing kind of the backend distribution stuff. Um, you know, when we started DFTBA, uh, it was much more difficult to submit albums and songs to iTunes and Spotify and things like that. These days, very simple. You can Google it. You find 10 services that'll help you do it, uh, most of them for free. Uh, but back then, it was a little bit more difficult. And with books today, it's still a little bit difficult. You know, you have to go through a couple of different distribution places to get everywhere. But even though my book is self-published, it is now everywhere. You can go to Target and get a copy. You can order a copy from Walmart. You can go to Barnes and Noble. Uh, any local bookstore can order a copy for you. They probably won't have it on the shelf because there's only so much uh, shelf space. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's a very powerful thing that you know. If you would have told 15 year old Alan who was sitting in his bedroom writing stories that you know people could walk into Walmart and buy a copy of his book, um, he'd freak out a little bit because that's just not something that you think would ever be possible. And today it is. Um, so. Having the knowledge to to find those things without having to be told that they exist because I knew from the music industry that, you know, oh, hey, this is how wide distribution works and this is how uh, these various platforms work. Um, that all helped quite a bit. And then, you know, I, I also took a couple of, of classes before publishing this on just, you know, uh, indie publishing promotion um, and, and that kind of stuff and like how to really help the right readers find your book. Mm. Um, you know, you can blast ads out all you want and waste a ton of money if you aren't finding the right readers, the readers who want to read what you're writing. Um, and that was the one thing I, I didn't yet know how to do. And so I did take a couple courses on just like, how do you find your readers? Where are they? Uh, how do they find books? Um, and just kind of getting the right eyeballs on, you know, my product page so they can decide like, oh yeah, this sounds like something I want to read or no pass. Um, and you know, you don't waste time bringing people to your page that, uh, aren't looking for what you're offering. I'm so glad you brought that up because I mean, this is the, these are, these are such wonderful examples of preparing for release and doing it all yourself in such a successful way though. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are going to listen to this who want to self-publish something who, you know, maybe didn't even think about the fact that you can take a course on, on promotion, on book promotion. And I'm like, if you have a link to one of them, that would be awesome. Cause I'd love to share it. If not, no problem. But I'm, I'm like really, really grateful for the thoroughness of your answer because, you know, this is exactly why even this show exists is so people can find 
access to think to to classes like that and learn how much you can do on your own you don't need to wait for gatekeepers anymore yeah i mean i've always been of the mindset of um wanting to work with or learn from people who have done what i want to do so when i see somebody who has self-published and is now making seven figures self-publishing mm -hmm. Those are the people I'm going to go to learn from, you know, versus trying to just Google for the best answers or looking for people who are selling get rich quick schemes. You know, they're, they're all over Amazon with the low content, no content publishing where people like make notebooks. And it's like you can make a thousand dollars a month making blank notebooks. And it's like, well, you can, but like, are you really offering anything? You know, mm -hmm. so I, I more so try to find people who have done what I want to do and then try to learn as much as possible from them. Um, and so that was the ad course I ended up taking, uh, which I, I can provide a link for. It's on the expensive side, but um, I found the information so thorough and a bit eye-opening um, that I, I believe the money was worth it. Well, I I just from seeing how strong your sales have been, you know, first week and pre-sales and everything, like I totally agree. <laughs> it was yeah. worth it. Yeah, just as an observer. So I, I yeah, I've I've seen over and over the figure that, you know, self-published or indie published books uh, typically don't sell more than a hundred copies in their lifetime. Um, and unfortunately that's the fate for most self-published books because most self-published authors don't know how to promote those books. Mm -hmm. And you know, just putting it up online is not enough. You, you need to find ways to, to let people know it exists. Um, that being said, my goal was to get a hundred pre-orders and I was like, you know, that maybe that's aiming a little high, you know, cause, cause most books don't sell that in their lifetime. Well, we surpassed hundred pre-orders really early and mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well maybe I'll make my goal 200 pre-orders because we still have some time left before the book launches. And then we surpassed 200 pre-orders. And so now we're a week out from the book and I've sold just under 400 copies. Yay. So four, hundred percent of that original goal. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's, it's still going strong, uh, you know, which I know will die off. It's, it's, you know, first week excitement, it's new readers coming in and grabbing it. Um, but the, the, the plan is to continue writing to, you know, uh, put it, put out new, new stories for, for readers. Um, and then also finding new ways to market some of the older stories, uh, you know, to, to keep the interest there. The, the nice thing about books, unlike, movies with a lot of special effects or unlike albums that have a particular um, modernized sound or whatever, books don't really age. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, a story that was good 30 years ago is, is a story that's still going to be good today. Um, and so I, I, I like that aspect of it is that it's not going to be like good for its time. It's just going to be a good story or it's not. Yeah, I, I love that. And I know that we share some taste in in books and writers. So, you know, I'm, I know we're, we're both reading books that were published 50 years ago, 40 years <laughs> ago all the time. And, it, you know, it doesn't affect my enjoyment at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up, by the way, just like DFTVA and, and early internet communities that you mm -hmm. ran, because that was something I was really curious about you know, it's all changed so much. Like YouTube yeah. also, I mean, you come from your, I feel like you were one of the pioneers of like early YouTube and it's obviously so different now. And I wanted to ask you like, what is something you miss about early internet culture? Um, I definitely miss the small town feel, you know, it, it kind of feel, it, it used to feel like you kind of knew everyone, you know, like in a small town, uh, you'd go to, to a different uh, platform and you'd bump into people that you knew from the other platforms and, and things like this. Um, it felt uh, more like people were just excited uh, to to work on things together and or to experience what you were working on. Um, I feel 
that a lot of that has changed. Um, you know, I, I go to the YouTube trending page and I don't recognize any of the faces anymore. Um, and they seem to change daily versus, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of big people always dominating it. Um, but yeah, you know, like uh, you, you'd mentioned the YouTube stuff, uh, you know, back in the day, I, I had 40,000 subscribers back in the day, which today means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but back right. in 2008, that was enough to be on the top 100 most subscribed. And I got a traditional book deal out of it on how to be successful on YouTube. It was, it was more of a nonfiction guidebook um, on just best techniques for the platform at the time. Uh, don't go look that book up. It is extremely out of date. It was published uh, <laughs> 14 years ago. So right. that's no longer going to help you get to the top of YouTube. But um, yeah, and those were very exciting times. You know, it was like, oh, somebody would make a video and it would inspire somebody else to respond with a different video and you'd kind of play off of each other. And it was just felt like this big collaborative community. Um, And I loved that feeling. That feeling got me very excited and I was very active in it. Um, And as that feeling kind of faded away, so did my involvement in it, I guess. Like I uh, and maybe maybe it is my own fault for becoming less involved, but um, I just wasn't really down with the whole you must make five videos a week and you must lo- upload them all at exactly 11 a.m. or no one's going to watch your videos. And it's like, well, that's not really that that's not creative. That's just, you know, uh, a factory turning out widgets. And I don't want to turn out widgets. I want to make videos when I'm inspired to make videos. And I if I'm not feeling it one weekend, I want to take the weekend off, you know, and and and. So that's not uh, the type of attitude that's going to get you to the top of YouTube today, unfortunately. It's funny you brought that up because that was one of the questions I had for you. Like, especially because you've worked in so so many mediums, I was wondering like if you had a kind of routine or a ritual you needed to keep in order to keep producing things. You know, do you do you feel like you have to edit if you're in a certain mood and make music in another? And I agree with you about how hard it is to create on like such a rigid schedule, but because you also create in so many mediums, I'm wondering like how you organize your output. I'm really bad about that. And you can ask any of the fans of my band, <laughs> The Golden Road, just how bad I am at that. Um, we work a lot when when we're in the band is just a two piece. It's myself and Christian Caldera. Um, and when when we're inspired, we work a lot and we can work 12 hour days, uh, days in a row and, and get a song finished very quickly. When we're not excited about it, <laughs> we can go, you know, a year and a half between releases, mm-hmm. uh, which when you're releasing only singles is a very long time. Uh, so. For me, yeah, I'm I'm pretty bad about this. I wish I had better advice for it, but you know, I I I'm trying to make the writing a priority at this point mm-hmm. because unlike every other medium that I've worked in, you know, on YouTube I was known for making collaborative videos. You know, it was always, oh, let's collab, let's do something together, that'll be fun. And so I always had to wait until the other person was available. And with the band, you know, with Christian and I, you know, he has a life and a family and a job and all these other things. So he's not around to just play guitars with me whenever we feel like it. Um, so, you know, it's also, oh, I have to wait on him. Uh, writing, though, is something where I'm the only person standing in my way. If I decide that I want to get a short story written this week, I'm the only one who cannot do that. It's not a, oh, but I have to wait for so-and-so or that person. You know, like I work with editors. Um, I hired uh, two professional editors to work on the book um, and uh, that kind of stuff. So so there are other people involved eventually, but getting the story written is is basically just okay, I'm going to sit down and write this now. (laughs) Um, And I love that aspect of it. Um, But as far as routines go, like, 
I, I, yeah, I, I really don't have any, um, and, and it has affected the, the output, um, hopefully not the quality of the output because mm-hmm. I'm only working on things when I'm excited to work on them. And so that usually translates, um, it doesn't always land, but it usually translates. Um, and, and I, going forward, uh, from, from, you know, kind of this year forward, I've, I'm going to try to put writing as a priority and just kind of maybe make more of a daily routine of like, okay, you need to sit down and get so many words done, or at least work on it for so many hours a day, just to, to make sure that it, that it keeps happening. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you brought up, um, that you brought up the small town feel, by the way, of, of early internet, because, uh, you then bring up your collaboration with Christian Caldera, whose work I have been following since the early 2000s. (laughs) And so, you know, his music totally unrelated to you, like is something I've listened to for so long. It's just fun to hear that even though things have changed so much and the way we create together has changed so much and our lives have changed, of course, over the years as people settle down or, um, make different choices. It's cool to hear familiar names still gathering together to make art. Definitely. Yeah. And, and meeting Christian was such an odd thing. It was, uh, so I was putting together an album at the time, uh, again, a collaborative project, uh, because I didn't want to just have MIDI instruments playing everything. I wanted to hire real performers for every single instrument on the album. Um, and so I had a drummer lined up and then that drummer got like the gig of a lifetime. I wish I could remember who it was. It was like Fiona Apple or, or somebody like that, that was really big who needed a touring drummer. So he's like, Alan, I can't work on your album. I have to go do this tour. I was like, I completely understand. You know, yeah. Bye. But that left me without a drummer like a week before we were start rec- supposed to start recording. And so a friend of a friend was like, well, I know this guy, Christian, he's pretty good at drums. And it's funny because you know anyone who knows Christian is like, oh, he's a great songwriter. He's a fantastic <laughs> vocalist. Nobody says, oh, he's a drummer. <laughs> right. I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> yeah. And so he was brought into the project and ended up working so well, not only in the drumming role, but adding background vocals and helping to arrange some of the songs, like really stepped up to the plate and at last minute. And uh, when that project was over, I was like, dude, we, we have to do more things together. We have to work together again. Uh, and, you know, we started a band at that point have been releasing music since uh 2011 together um so it's uh a lot of fun and just you know a fun way to to meet people like that you know um i know that before that he was big in in wizard rock and that kind of scene um but that was never really my scene and so i had no clue who he was when he brought into the project as far as i knew he was a session drummer and that, mm-hmm. that was it you know um not knowing he's just so so much more i mean he's also a producer a mixer he produces and mixes all of our music um just fantastic guy yeah, he's such a memorable performer to me because he's just incredible. He's just so talented. Like I knew him from the Wizard Rock scene way back when, um, and you know he's just one of the standouts in terms of like musicianship. <laughs> um, yeah, for and sure. and you know this is one of the the main things I was excited to talk to you about. Um, it is the the ups and downs of choosing collaborators. Like I, I appreciate what you're saying about you know, when you're writing a novel, you're the only one standing in your way, at least in a, in the way that you're doing it right now. But when it comes to choosing collaborative relationships, like how do you choose who's good for you? Who, um, you know, what, what are the things that help you discern who's going to be like a trustworthy or just supportive uh, partner, I guess? Do you have advice for our listeners? I know this is something I've struggled with myself over the years, the ups and downs of finding creative partners. And I just would love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, I I found that being really active in the community helps a lot um, because you're kind of exposed to 
a lot of people doing a lot of things. Um, and so when I see people who have done things really well, or I see people who like really um, put the time and effort into making a great product, a great project, whatever, whatever they're making, um, I feel they're more trustworthy. Uh, for an example, uh, my audiobook was narrated by uh, Kylie Stewart. Uh, I had never heard of her before, but I watch a lot of author tube videos where writers will come on to YouTube and offer advice on self-publishing or writing or editing and those kinds of things. And one of the authors uh, interviewed uh, Kylie because she had done her audiobook. And she, in the interview, you know, she talked about how her and her husband work together as a team and he does a lot of the editing and the engineering work um, and just how careful they are about hitting all of Amazon's requirements and, and getting the performance just right and those things. Um, and so I then reached out to her to work on my audiobook because I heard the passion she had for it. And I heard the dedication that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, this is a great way to make extra money on the side <laughs> because that's not the type of person I want to work with. I want to work with somebody who's like, this is my craft and I want to be better at it every day. And I, you know, want to put care and love into it, even if it's for your book project. Um, those are the type of people I like to work with. And you can really only find those people by being active in that community and uh, engaging and consuming the content that other people are putting out and, and seeing when somebody kind of hits that bar. Um, I also, a lot of times like to punch above my weight. Um, so, you know, if, if I'm writing at a seven out of 10 quality right now, I'm going to want to learn from somebody who's writing out of a eight by eight out of 10 or a nine out of 10, you know, like, um, and, and sometimes that can be difficult because when, when you're not as big as someone else, or you're not as good as someone else yet, uh, reaching out to them and asking to work together or to learn from or whatever can, can be intimidating. Um, but I found that it just never hurts to ask. And, you know, a lot of times people will surprise you and want to share their knowledge, want to share their craft, um, or whatever it might be. And sometimes people just like working with new people. And so, you know, uh, a lot of projects have sprung up from me being like, oh, there's no way this person is going to say yes to this. And then they say yes. And it's exciting and fantastic. And it makes me work harder to try to be on their level. And you just keep leveling up like that. Um, and I think that you can then surround yourself with a really great community of creators um, and, and people that you can kind of tap when when uh, you want to work on a project or they might want you for a project. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that's probably the best advice I have for that. I mean, we all get it wrong sometimes, you know, uh, you hire somebody for a project and they just don't work out. But um, I think more times, uh, you know, when, when you go for those people who are, show the passion for their projects, like they're going to work out, they're going to do something that surprises you. Yeah, it's so funny that you br brought this up. Just just the the vulnerability or intimidation of asking, but how often it also works out. Because uh, this is something I was talking about yesterday with Athena, my uh, my writing partner. Um, we were discussing how we've both received feedback before that oh, someone wanted to work with us in the past, but they didn't ever ask because they were like, oh, you just seem really busy. And both of us are like, I really wish you had asked because I would have loved to work with you. You know, like I, there, I think sometimes people uh, understandably are, are just so afraid of asking um, or, you know, are intimidated by a follower's number, whatever it is. Right. And in mm -hmm. my experience, too, people tend to be so much more open artists, you know, who love their craft, like you said, are so much more open than maybe you might think because they love making art. They love making what they make and they want friends to do it with. So um, we were, we were like connecting on that yesterday, just like how 
we wish more people would reach out even if they have no budget or a low budget because if the work quality is there like we want to jump in i i was very afraid in the beginning to to ask about collaborative things you know we're we're going back to very early internet days um but i think that you know once i had one or two people say yes um that that kind of snowball built and it was just kind of like well okay they said yes maybe the next person will say yes maybe the person after that um and and yeah, like you don't want to be greedy about it and you don't want to be pushy. Um, but if you find people that you really think you're going to click with, um, you know, again, it can't be all about the numbers. It can't be like, oh, well, Grace has X number of followers. So I'm going to ask her to work on a project with me because, you know, she has so many followers or, you know, whatever right. it might be. It totally. can't be about that. But if you're like, no, Grace is perfect for this role or this speaking project or, you know, whatever it might be, um, that's when I think you reach out and people will know that, you know, my, my, Biggest example of this, um, so some people might have heard this story before, but um, my biggest example of this was how I met Hank Green um, and before we started DFTBA Records together. So he had recorded a song about the last Harry Potter book before it came out. This was uh, summer of, I want to say 2007, but I might have that wrong. But I think it was summer of 2007. That was definitely the last book release. Yeah. Okay, then then that's when it was. So he recorded the song and it was featured on the front page of YouTube. Um, back then, that used to be a big deal. It was a curated page. You can only get on there if the editors liked you and you would get, you know, easily a million views if, if you landed on that front page. So he was on the front page. I had never heard of him before, but I watched the video. It was funny. I went back to his channel, watched a couple of the videos. And like, okay, these are funny. Like, I want to work with this guy. I want to collab collaborate with him. So I sent him a message and I was like, hey, you know, I'm doing this video. Here's the premise is this something you might be interested in? I'm assuming he was getting a lot of those requests at the time because he was featured on the front page. So he wrote me back and he's like, well, I don't know, send me the script and I'll take a look at it. Now, because I had watched a number of his videos at that point, I kind of had his voicing down in my head. And so I sent him the script for the idea that I had. He read it, he wrote back in all caps, this is fantastic. This sounds exactly like something I would say. Amazing. Yeah, and we collaborated together on a video and that's how we met. And, and from that, we founded DFTBA Records together. We put out all this great merch for all of these fantastic artists on YouTube. Uh, you know, it became a very successful business to the point where I was able to quit working. Like it was all of this and it just grew from contacting somebody that I was genuinely excited to work with. I had no idea. And at the time, this is even funnier. At the time, I had more subscribers than him, mm -hmm. which is laughable today because the Vlogbrothers are just gigantic online. But back then, I had more subscribers than him. So it wasn't even a, a numbers thing. It was just, oh, this guy's funny, and I have an idea of something we could work on together. Mm -hmm. That was it. Um, so I would say, you know, for anyone out there who is afraid, don't be <laughs> so it's so much easier to say than do, but, um, you know, and sometimes as a creator, it sucks to have to say no, you know, somebody reaches out to you and, and you just don't have the time or you just don't think the project is right. Uh, you know, you're going to hear no's. I'm not saying that, you know, this is a free pass to get yeses from everyone, but, um, it, it, it certainly can't hurt if you're nice about it and if you're genuine about it. Um, and I think you'll be surprised at how many times people do say yes. Yeah. And I love that you're really pointing out, like, do it for the right reasons too. do it because someone is right for the project, not just because they have a number of followers, because I think sometimes people do need to think about that um, first. But like, also, just in these stories, the through line of it's a specific request, because I think I am someone who at least who receives a lot of like, 
let's collab messages. <laughs> and it, it's like, on what? For, you know, when? Uh, what is the project? What is the purpose? of? Like, I don't respond to, to those, mm -hmm. right? Because it's just a like, I see you have attention on the internet. I would like some, please. Yeah. That's very different than like, I wrote this script that was perfect for you. Do you want to read it? The answer to that always going to be yes from me, at least to oh, reading course, the yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's if people can get specific and understand like the purpose of having someone as a collaborator like it it really does work out from at least for me most of the time because it's it's done because of shared passion and it's done for the right reasons it's like the difference between you know when someone it just says i want you to mentor me or like can i pick your brain you know versus um hi i'd like to you know, take you out to dinner to ask some specific questions about how you self-published mm -hmm. those are very different you know and one of those is open-ended and overwhelming and then yeah. one of those is specific and you know what you're signing up for and have the opportunity to help someone yeah i i agree 100 percent. yeah so i think you know I, I it's it's always really interesting to to assess those things ourselves as well like why are you reaching out to someone make sure that you, it is for the right reasons but yeah, like just there's little there's little language things you can adjust that so that people will respond um, because like the example I gave about like mentorship, those could have been the same. Someone could have been asking for the same reason, you know, wanting advice on self-publishing. But the way they ask really does matter in terms of like how how open someone's going to be. And it also, I think, shows that they know you better if if they're asking for something specific because if somebody comes to me and says hey can you mentor me that could mean anything like music art graphic right. design writing self but like there are so many things you could be asking about versus if you say oh hey i saw that you released this album on vinyl and i really liked the sound of of this you know particular instrument can you maybe explain how you got like that is so much more specific and i'm like okay yes i can do that <laughs> versus you know the other well it just shows that you you know the person and what they create and why you're reaching out to them instead of because otherwise that first email could have been sent to a thousand different people exactly. you know there's nothing personal about it and no insight into it so yeah now you have been working from home you know creating from home as long as i've known you and um i was very curious about the past few years what it was like for you watching the world adjust to working from home. Like, did you offer advice to artists? Did you, you know, did, like how, how was that for you as someone who's been creating from home for so, so long? What was it like seeing the adjustment and were you able to offer advice to anyone who needed it? Um, yeah, it, well, when it first happened, um, I posted a number of times for people who are going to be working from home, uh, just a, a few uh, pieces of advice that were along the lines of, you know, try to find people you can communicate with throughout the day, whether they're, you know, coworkers or peers or whatever. Like, I find that working from home can get very lonely. And and I could even be better about this of finding more spaces uh, in which to have discussions throughout the day with 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 other people. Um, so so that was my my first big thing was like, you know, try to try to find ways to to still communicate with others because you really miss like the water cooler talk when you're not in an office you know and i haven't been in an office uh setting since 2007 i think 
Um, but even still, you know, I miss the the light coworker drama and <laughs> the discussions about what was on TV last week, you know, all that kind of stuff. You don't think you're going to miss it. You think it's just the annoying part of the office until it's gone. And then you're like, oh, wow, I wonder how so-and-so's dog was doing. And I wonder what happened with that car they were trying to buy. And, you know, just the, the various things you hear throughout the day. Um, so there was that. Uh, and it was scary at the beginning. It was such a huge cultural shift and none of us knew what to expect. Um you know, so while it didn't really change my daily life, it was changing the daily life of everyone around me. But then I think it got a little exciting because being uh, stuck at home for everyone kind of made us reassess accessibility. And suddenly all these things that were no way could they be done online, suddenly were being done online. Um, you know, it's something that I've struggled with. I have a pretty strong social anxiety and agoraphobia. And and one of the reasons that I have worked from home since you've met me is that I have set up a life that allows me to work from home because I am too scared to leave the house, mm-hmm. which is a lot to talk about. I'm currently and have been for a while in therapy for it. I've struggled with that, with with not having access to those things. Like, well, no, you have to leave the house to get this done. You have to, uh, you know, one, one of the examples I can give an easy one was closing on this house uh, when I bought it. Uh, you know, I asked them, I was like, this is something we can just sign the papers online, right? We can do this online. We can do it. And yeah, 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 of course. Day comes for closing. Like, no, we need you to come to the office. I was like, no, you guaranteed me 10 different times that I could do this online, that I didn't mm-hmm. have to drive across this, the city and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now all that stuff's being done online, you know, and, and they found a way to make it work because they had to. And so that part of it is exciting for me. So for not only people who have anxieties like me, but any kind of physical disabilities that stop them from leaving the house often or, or anything else you know there's a lot of reasons why people might be stuck at home uh that's not pandemic related um so yeah what started off as scary kind of got a little uh encouraging i guess is probably the more appropriate word um in in that they uh able to find ways to make things work for people i really appreciate you pointing that out too that there are many many reasons not related to a pandemic that people might want to or need to to work from home and stay home more so there's, you know, all sorts of reasons for that. And if anything, you know, our our perspectives have been opened up to what those are. And uh, hopefully there's just more flexibility in moving forward in general in workplaces. Um, it does seem that way so far, like more companies are allowing people to work from home and that that's been beneficial for some people. Um, on that subject, do you have, like on the show, we talk about daily practices a lot. Like I write morning pages, things like that, um, little things we do to stay grounded and creative. Do you have any daily practices? Um, not a ton. I I do make sure that um, Kristen and I, my, my girlfriend, uh, that we eat our meals together and there's no work during meals. Mm, um, I so love that. We, we do that. That guarantees that I at least get three breaks throughout the day where I'm not having to work, uh, having to worry about work. Um I try to listen to an album or two. I'm a huge music nerd, walls filled with box sets and CDs. Um, so I, I try to take out, you know, at least a 45 minute to an hour break to be able to listen to an album uh, each day. And then before I start any big projects, I tend to quote unquote, fill the well. And so I will read as much as I can or watch and listen to as much as I can. Uh, anything in the particular genre or area where I'm trying to create something. Uh, my my next book is going to lean a little bit more sci-fi versus this first book that leaned a little bit more horror and so now i'm just reading a lot of sci-fi books um gonna watch a lot of sci-fi movies just kind of put myself in that headspace um 
because that's that's what I'm excited about. Um, and I find that that really helps drive the, uh, oh crap, now I have to sit down and write 3000 words today or you know whatever your goal might be. Um, it it kind of helps make that more exciting versus you know time to punch the the time card. I love that you said that you don't really have daily practices and then shared all of these amazing <laughs> rituals that you have that I'm so impressed by. It's so interesting how sometimes we don't know <laughs> just how much we are doing. <laughs> yeah, I, well, that's true. I think the big thing for me is that I have tried in the past to like keep calendars and keep hourly schedules because I've read about so much. I've read so much about how that helps people. Um but I just, I can't do it. You know, when I say like, oh, I'm going to make my writing nine till noon every day, mm. it just never works out. I can do it for about a week, but then something comes up and, oh, you know, well, I can't make it this morning because of this, or, oh, I have a call with this person or a meeting with, and it just gets interrupted every time. So I found that it, it's much better to be flexible with those goals. So instead of saying, oh, I'm going to write from nine till noon, it's going to say, okay, I'm going to write for three hours today. And if that mm. means my three hours are, you know, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., then that's when those three hours are or whenever I can kind of fit it in because uh, there's so many other things that come up throughout the day and throughout the year that like, I don't want to be so, and I understand this is a, a, a bit of privilege here because if I had a nine to five job, you know, too bad, you got to go to your nine to five job. Um, so I, I completely um, acknowledge that, uh, that I've been very lucky in that way, mm -hmm. but I've, I've found that setting those hours just don't work for me. And so when people talk about routines and that, um, I get a little, uh, but I, but I can't make a routine work, you know, cause yeah. And, and that's usually where my brain goes, not the, you know, kind of other fun creative routines. <laughs> well, and it's an important reminder though, that people do it differently. You know, like we, we mm -hmm. read that Stephen King reads X number of pages a day or devotes this time to writing and this time to reading every day, but that doesn't mean every writer needs to do it that way. That's just oh, course, what works yeah. for him. And I think that that can be um, a roadblock for people if they see yeah. one of their favorite artists schedules their day this way, well, then they feel they have to as well. And it's yeah, like, and I, that's not necessarily right for you, though, just because you like their books. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think people get sometimes a little hung up on the specifics instead of the abstracts. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at like, oh, Stephen King writes X number of pages per day. Well, why is he doing that? You know, because you need to make progress. And so your progress might just look different from his. If his has to be, oh, I sit down after breakfast and I write, you know, 10 pages eight pages, whatever it is. I, I don't remember, but you know, he writes a certain number of pages before he's allowed to get up for lunch. Well, that's what works for him. But the whole abstract point is to just keep working on your project. And so I think if people can kind of take those tips, you know, and like, oh, he reads so much per day. Well, he's doing that because that's his industry. He needs to stay up on, uh, you know, not only being inspired, but also the mechanics of like how is storytelling changing over the years and mm. what are readers interested about now? You know, what, what, what book is best selling this month? They're probably doing something that readers like. I should pay attention to that. So, you know, there, there's um, very concrete reasons why he's doing these and very abstract reasons. And I think that if you can take those abstracts out and say, okay, well, why is this working or why is this recommended? And then adapt it for your situation. I think you're going to be much more successful. I'm really glad you brought that point up about his reading because I know he has like a famous quote about how you have to read if you want to write. And mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And I was really glad when you brought up also, you know, the filling the well ritual that you have before launching a new project, consuming as much as you can in the genre. Um, because I think that's really important 
to educate mm -hmm. yourself on on whatever you're making and to write like kind of gear up your passion for the thing and i i've had conversations with writers before um you know or people who feel stuck in their writing or want to write or I say, well, what, you know, what are you reading? Who are you reading? Who are your favorite writers? And they're like, oh, I don't really read. Okay. Um, yeah. Why do you want to write then? <laughs> no, it, it surprises me. You know, it's, it's the same thing as if, you know, somebody tried to direct a film without ever seeing a film before. How? Or somebody, yeah. Or, you know, if you, you decide you're going to join TikTok tomorrow, but you've never watched a TikTok video, you're going to do it wrong. <laughs> like, you know, and, and until you can consume and experience uh, this thing that people are appreciating, um, you know, you, you certainly can't make it or at least make well in that space mm -hmm. um, until you kind of, not that there are rules, right. you know, um, but it's just kind of, we know these things work and you should probably abide by these things that work, you know? And it's one of the reasons too, that I'm proudly a nerd you know, because any artist I admire is too about whatever medium they're creating in, you know, like bringing up directors, all of my favorite directors are huge freaking film nerds. And this oh, is yeah. like a schedule thing that I absolutely don't do and have no interest in doing. But like the director Bong Joon-ho, for example, gets up at 5 a.m. every day to watch a movie. And that's that's, that's what awesome. works for yeah, him. I, I wouldn't do it either. But. Yeah, I have no interest in doing that myself. <laughs> but just the idea that like, uh, you know, that's that's how you learn. That's how you get the motivation to create. And it's like always seemed so backwards to me that there are certain people who think that, you know, being really passionate about whatever horror books or or film like is nerdy and they're not. No, they're cool. They're just going to make it. They're just going to wing it. I'm like, what? How does that work? Like, it's the, why do you want to make something at all? Yeah, you know, there there are a lot of directors or, you know, um, if you listen to any kind of like audio commentary on movies and you'll hear them talking about and nitpicking the tiniest little things. And like, I love films, um, but I am not a cinematographer. I am not, you know, somebody who knows the technicalities of these things. I would not know how to set up a proper shot but I love film. But for the directors, they have to be nerds about those things. They have to know how to set up the shot properly, how to frame it properly, and why framing it one way makes it sad and framing it another way makes it exciting. And you know, th those are things I've never bothered to learn, but I can appreciate the medium. But if I was trying to create in that medium, then yeah, those are things I would have to study. I would have to watch films with that intent in mind and say, oh, that shot was set up this way because of this reason, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think, and, and the same comes, the same is true with books. The same is true with music. You know, there's a reason why there are certain formulas. There's a reason why you do certain things. And if you don't execute them well, you know, uh, readers, viewers, listeners, whatever, they're going to know that you're not doing it well. And it's going to affect the the quality of your work. It's going to affect the enjoyment uh, that, that your fans get out of it. Um, and if you want to be putting out good work, you just really need to do that deep dive, um, I think. And not only the one-time deep dive, but stick with it and, and, and kind of continuously refill that well. Yeah, just, you just relearn those things uh, or see just good examples of them. Because then, you know, sorry, let me come back a little bit. So when I first started recording music at 15, um, I, I got a cassette four track and learned how to like overdub guitar parts. And at that moment, I was like, oh, is this all my favorite bands are doing? And I, that, like the magic was ruined, you know, uh, for about <laughs> six months. 
for about six months. And then once I leveled myself up a little bit and started dubbing the four tracks down to another one so I could use the other three free tracks and doing something, then you get to appreciate when it's done well, you know, but you can't appreciate that until you have learned how to do it, I think. Um, and so now when I read something, now that I kind of know the mechanics behind a story and I put together a novel that people are enjoying, um, now when I read something, I say, oh, they're setting that up for later or, oh, this is why they mentioned this, you know, five chapters ago. And you can appreciate it more because you see kind of the underlying um, mechanics that went into it. Yeah. And I was, I, I mean, we're touching on this a lot already, but I was also wondering like what artists have been positive role models for you, not necessarily just in style, but, you know, in the way they live their life or talk about their beliefs or, you know, anything really. Do you have people you look to um, as role models? Uh, certainly. Um, you know, in the music world, um, for me, it's Stephen Wilson currently. Um, he's kind of a smaller act, um, but he has been gaining in popularity. He's been releasing music for like 30 years now. Um, and for him, you know, he kind of puts out at his own schedule. He does these really big deluxe boxes that give fans everything they want you know you got instrumental versions you have demo versions you have songs that didn't quite make the album you get uh videos of behind the scenes recording all that kind of stuff and so i love that he puts so much love into each project um similarly to that and this is a newer author as far as i am reading but an author i've been following for a very long time and that's brandon sanderson mm, uh, yeah he uh he writes fantasy, uh, which is not a genre I am well read in, but I am starting to read through his works because I've been such a fan of him as a person. Uh, I took his online writing courses. Um, he uploads all of the, the, the writing courses that he does uh, for free to his YouTube channel. Um, and he taught me a lot about writing as I was trying to learn you know, best practices. Uh, he also currently has the number one Kickstarter of all time uh, mm -hmm. going right now. And uh, the one thing I love in his last update video, he said, okay, now that we've crossed this threshold and we are the number one Kickstarter, he's like, we have a little bit of extra money to play with. Now we could have just put it in our pockets. He's like, but we are taking that money and we are making each of our products for this kickstarter just a little bit better so now the one color uh illustrations in the books are going to be two color illustrations in the books and you know these t-shirts that were printed on you know just kind of normal fabric are now going to be printed on much higher quality fabric and the the fact that there are so few people and so few places that do that that really care about the product um it just warmed my heart when i heard him say that because that's the kind of stuff that i say you know like uh, when I started doing um, buttons and stuff for, for my website, um, I had some made from a different company and they were shit. I was like, I would be so embarrassed to ask people for money, even if it's just a buck 99 for this button, mm -hmm. because it was not very good. So I had to throw away the whole batch and start over again with a different company. And that's not something most people I think would do. I don't think they would junk products they had made because they were fine products. They were buttons. They would, you know, stick to your shirt or your backpack or your jacket or wherever you put them. But the quality just wasn't there for me. Um, and it's also the reason why I had two editors go through the book because I knew this was my first time writing a novel. And I didn't want to just put out, you know, my second or third draft and call it good. I didn't want to just run it through words, uh, autocorrect and spell checker and call it good. So I went through 
a professional editor and they did an entire pass on it and they had some suggestions and I made those edits and those changes. And then I did the entire process again with a second editor uh, to make sure that I just didn't miss anything. I didn't break anything when I was adding new sections, uh, you know, just to get a second set of eyes on it because I knew it, you only get one chance to make that first impression with, with, you know, any project that you put out there. And I really wanted the first book to be good. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be a bestseller. I knew it wasn't going to be an award winner. Like these are things that don't happen with, you know, debut novels that are self-published. I know Mm -hmm. that, but anyone who reads it, I want them to come back for book two and I want them to be excited to come back for book two, you know, and, and I'm only going to be able to do that is if I give them a quality product, they'll know if I cheap out and just went through, you know, words autocorrect and still have a bunch of mistakes in there because word only catches half of them, you know, um, well, having yeah. just finished your novel, I can say I will definitely be back. Um, it was so good. It was like Thank awesome so seeing people's comments too on your Facebook who were saying the same thing. They couldn't put it down. Like it's just so exciting. And, and you know, I love hearing this kind of behind the scenes of how much you care about quality and how much you're willing to, how much work you're willing to do to ensure it. Um, I wish more people were like that. Like you said, there's not a lot of people who really are committed, like you are telling us. And uh, it, the 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 payoff is really evident. Having just read your book, you know, like well, thank the, you. the detail, the attention to detail is so there. Um, now I know you are writing more books right now, but mm-hmm. um, I was I did want to ask before we we close this interview down if there's a medium you haven't tackled yet that you want to explore? Because you've just talked about so many different things you've made over the years. I think the one thing that I haven't made yet that I would really like to is a short film. Um, I was hoping you'd say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a medium that I love watching. Um, And it would, it would be a, I think it would be a thing where I would have to collaborate with other people who know how to do it because I don't yet. So I'm not saying I want to direct it. I'm not saying, you know, I want to star in it. Those are two things I know I can't do, but to be kind of a very hands-on producer, you know, and just kind of be involved in the decisions um, and then letting the people who know what they do, do what they do. Uh, I think that that would be very exciting. Um, I I did have my first uh, short story called the fort. I had that adapted into a screenplay. Um, and I really liked that. It, it was it was a official selection of a number of festivals in 2020. Um, so I also know that other people liked it too. Getting it made, however, <laughs> um, might be a little bit more expensive and time consuming um, than I can give it right now. Um, but it is a project that I'm excited to try at some point in the future because uh, I'd like for it to exist. And so it's just going to be a, a matter of finding the time and the money to make it exist. Absolutely. And I mean, what's great about film is what you just said is it's, it's such a collaborative medium, like at mm-hmm. its core, you know, you, you are getting everyone to do what they're good at. And there's a lot of shit you don't know how to do. <laughs> like I, there's a lot of stuff as an actor, I would have no idea how to do on a film set. And so thank God that there's a whole team of people working <laughs> together. For sure. Yeah. 
Well, I'm obviously going to drop the link to your book and any of the projects we've talked about, like your band. And um, I will also be cutting in the book trailer for Face the Night at the end of this episode. But uh, before we sign off, where where can people support your art? Is there anywhere else you'd like to mention? My main website has uh, a lot of the writing projects on it now, uh, or all of the writing projects. Uh, so that'd probably be the best kind of hub to go to. Um, but, you know... You can also go to your local bookstore and order a copy. That would probably help out the bookstore a lot um, and helps me out the same whether you buy it from there or Amazon. I get the exact same royalties, so you may as well you know, support your local businesses. Well, Alan, it's been amazing having you here. I'm, I've enjoyed working with you so much before, and I, I'm even more now, I just love hearing about your process and your passion for the process. This has been so like heart-nourishing, well-filling for me. So I will just end the episode by asking you my favorite question, uh, which is, what is the art life? Uh, the art life is collaboration. Yeah, I'm feeling that right now. This has been so inspiring for me as an artist, and I'm just so very much looking forward to your next projects. So thank you for being on the show and for being a collaborator of mine in the past and hopefully in the future as well. Definitely. And uh, thank you as well. All right, everyone. Tune in to uh, <laughs> tune in to the book trailer now and go buy a copy of Alan's debut novel, Face the Night, from your local bookstore. Bye. Yay. Seller Ohio's first police sketch artist just drew the wrong face. A face with no name, with no voice, but with one hell of a secret. Face the Night, the debut novel from Alan Lestufka. March 8th, secrets swim to the surface. This is The Art Life. You can find the show online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, Care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91617. Send email to theartlifeshow at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at theartlifeshow. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining me.